Father, we want to um, commit Con to you now and I pray that you'll give him the words to say as he brings your message to us in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a very hard message to follow. Um, I mean, Hannah, I like, just want to, you know, say what an amazing job you're doing with those kids and, and the way that you're handling the situation. And yeah, it definitely would be very difficult and I couldn't imagine what that would be like. Um, um, so keep doing what you're doing and, and keep growing and keep learning and you're going to be a, where are you, Hannah? There you are, down there, like looking for you. Um, you know, and you're going to be such a help to so many people. Like you're so young, and you have so many children that you look after. And I'm sure there's lots of wisdom that you have already. So um, I know that. And Kylie and I look forward to having one child. Um, we're going to have many people that we can come up to, and you'll be one of them that we get to say, "Hey, can you help us out? <laughs> um, how do we do stuff?" Um, can I get the uh, slides up on the screen? Just grab the uh, clicker as well. No worries. Um, if you're new here to this church and uh, yeah, you're here for the first time, um, uh, we're going through what's called uh, roadblocks to moving forward. Um, and so the idea is that what are things that stop us from being able to step into all that God has for us? What are the, the roadblocks in our ways that, that distract us or move us away from what God has for us? And we're putting off, um, as we've been going through the series, we're trying to figure out things that, that stop us from um, stepping into God's presence um, putting off the flesh and, and stuff like that. And today, my message is going to be around this word. Let me just turn this on. Around this word, idolatry. Um, so the roadblock that we're going to be talking today, talking about today, is idolatry. And again, if you're if you're new to church in general, uh, or you've either been um, a Christian for only a very short period of time, when you when you hear of this word idolatry. Um, you probably think of, the first thing you probably think of is, is idols and a primitive culture, you know, thousands of years ago that probably had temples um, and they would have statues in which they would worship and bow down to. And it's very easy to look, you know, at foreign cultures and see that idolatry is kind of there, but it's not in our culture today. But we too um, go to places such as restaurants and um, uh, entertainment centers and stadiums where we actually go to worship. It's, uh, it's places that we go in our culture to worship. So we're going to look at three things when it comes to idolatry. Um, I've got it all out of order. So, so there's three things that I want us to look at when it's, uh, we're going to be speaking about idolatry today. And the first thing is, what is idolatry? The second thing is, how do we recognize our idols? And the third thing is, how do we restore worship back to God and break free from our idols? Number one, what is idolatry? How do we recognize them? And how do we restore worship um, back to God and break free from our idols. I'm going to read this Bible passage and then we are, I'm going to pray and we'll get stuck in. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For all they knew, for all they, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Twenty-two, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of God. Exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore. God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And verse 25 is where we will find most of our time in. 
because they exchanged the truth of God, the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the Creator rather than the worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Father God, we thank you for this morning, and uh, we thank you for all that you've been doing, Lord. And um, God, I just pray that you would help me to explain this um, big concept in, in Scripture of idolatry that I believe so much of our roadblocks fall under, Lord God. And uh, Lord, I pray that we can really find freedom in this this morning and um, I can be clear on how we can yeah, move forward in this kind of roadblock, God. So open, open our ears to hear and give me a clear speech this morning, Lord God. Flow, allow your Holy Spirit to flow in and through us and help me to share what you want me to share. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So number one, what is idolatry? I'm just going to share a little bit of a story um, first. When I was, uh, I, um, I did a subject called Pastoral Epistles around about six weeks ago, and we had an American lecturer. Uh, he'd never been to Australia before, so he flies in specifically, um, comes from America, comes to Sydney, and um, decides to teach us about the Pastoral Epistles. And, and of course, when you come to Australia, what's the first thing that you want to do? You've probably seen the postcards in America, you've seen the icons and the places that you want to go to. You want to get back and box with kangaroos, absolutely. But uh, of course here it's hot, there it can get very cold um, if it's, you know, because of the season. It was only a couple of months ago, so it was very warm here. Of course we have iconic beaches, I'm not talking about Cronulla or the Shire. Um, I meant talking about uh, Bondo Beach. And so, you know, so he gets down here and it's warm and he, you know, gets down to Bondo Beach and uh, he's got his boardies and his flip-flops, they probably don't call them those. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe he might have had an umbrella or something, who knows. But he, he gets down to the beach and he, he has a look around at this, this huge beach and he thinks to himself, why is everybody crammed and bunched over on this one side or kind of in the middle? There's all this space around and, and there's these couple of flags that are flapping around and some weird dudes with a hat and everybody seems to be bunched over on that side. Now, if you're not from Australia... Um, Australia's beaches have something that is hidden under the water that can be very, very dangerous that people that come here don't know about. Who can tell me what that is? Yeah, rips. I believe they call them rips because it stands for rest in peace. Because if you end up getting caught in one, you're pretty much a goner. The idea is, is that the water comes in and then it flows back out and you get this huge drag and then you, you're trying to battle it, you're trying to fight it. You end up getting caught in it, you get drained and literally if there's no one there to save you like the, life's, the lifesavers and you're pretty much in trouble. And he was very, he was very fortunate because he did get caught in one um, and he battled it. He said that he was a strong swimmer and he was able to, to move away from it and, and got back to shore um, safely, but he was... Very, very fortunate. Otherwise, I would not um, have this story. I wouldn't have done that subject, that's for sure. Um, now, I want to look at idolatry a little bit from this scenario. What we have on one side, if we think about it, um, uh, God has provided provisions for us. He would say he's provided flags, that God is king and he has provided flags for us to live our life in. And when we choose to put God as king in our life and swim between his flag, his provision, then we are ultimately worshipping him. We are worshipping the true and one and right God as we swim between his flags. But in this case, as my lecturer did, he looked at it and thought, oh, no, nah, that's not where I want to be. It kind of looks like everyone's there. This looks a little bit more enticing over here. It still looks kind of cooling. It looks fresh. It looks like I can go and swim over there. And culturally, we sort of look at God and we say to him, no, nah, I don't really like those flags. I don't really like what you're putting out, Lord. I don't really want to make you God in my life. I want to be God in my life, and I'm going to go and do what I want I'm going to do what I want. And this is what we see in um, Romans chapter 1, verses 25. There's this exchange for the truth about God, that God is good, that God 
wants to keep us safe, that God gives us what we need, that God is our security, that God is our, um, we get our identity from him and we exchange it for the lie that other things are going to give that stuff to us. Now, I want to be quite practical here and I want to explain this idea of worship because it says in Romans 25 that they exchanged the truth about God um, for a lie and worshipped the creature or created things rather than the creator. So we exchanged something and we worshipped. So what is this idea of worship? Because worship and idolatry are inextricably connected. You can't separate the two of them. But before that I do that, I've got a whiteboard here that I want to uh, get you guys to help me out with. And I want you to just call out some things that you believe that God has given to us that is good. What are some things that God gives to us that are good? What are things that are that are good. How about I just I start off with something like a job. You would say a job's a good thing that God has given to us, right? I'm going to need my screen. What else? What are some things that you got? Pardon? Clothes. Clothes. Yes. Um, marriage. Marriage. Yes. The Bible. Bible. Accessories. <laughs> Accessories. Absolutely. Shoes. What about um, great experiences? People. Food. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Family. Awesome. Family. What about kids? And all the parents laughed. Medicine. Yeah. Awesome. Sports. These are really good things. Anything else that anybody wants to shout out? I'm going to put these down here because I'm going to need the strength. A, a, a what? A wife? Oh, life. Life. And all the husbands said, amen. Until you walk past the shoe shop, and that's right, then you find your bank account going the other way. Here's a few things that I've put down as well. Sports teams, you've got that car, drink, um, uh, keeping... Uh, Keeping a distinction average, our lawns are probably pretty good, our houses are intellect, success, experiences, sexual pleasure is a good thing, relationships, beauty, hobbies, sports teams. Now let me explain, let's keep this in mind and um, I want to explain uh, worship for you in this way. That we believe in one God as three persons, we call that the Trinity. And the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are continually and constantly pouring themselves into one another in relationship and in love and respect and in, in, in humility. They are pouring themselves continually out to one another with inside the actual Godhead. We are made in the image of that God. And we are continual outpourers. We are pouring ourselves with our money and our finances and our energy into things like we have just seen here. Our job, our experiences, causes, in bands, into sexual pleasure, into success. We are pouring ourselves out to our sports teams, our hobby, success, our intellect, all these things. We are continually worshipping. We're passionate worshippers. Everyone, all the time, is always worshipping. There's no exceptions. The difference is who or what or how you worship. And this morning I want to say that this idea of this exchange that Romans talk about, God should be up here. 
He should be in his rightful place in our lives. God should be our king and everything else that God has given us is to be stewarded well and to have fun and enjoy. But this idea of exchange is when we take God and we make him just a good thing and we elevate something such as food into a God thing and then it becomes a bad thing. So guys, I want to give you an acronym this morning to to go by and it's called G-G-B. Good things such as these, that become God things, which will replace God, that's the exchange, and then therefore they become a bad thing. Can we say it together? Good things, that become God things, and become bad things. One more time, good things, that become God things, bad things. Ultimately, that's what idolatry is. We, We deify the things that God has given us. We put them into the position of God and they act like our functional saviour giving the things to us that we want. And for you that can be relationships, it can be your kids, it can be your job, it can be your finances, it can be your hobbies, it can be your bank account, whatever. It can be food. And in essence, we pour ourselves out to it and we worship The root of idolatry is that we find our identity in these things. Who am I? When you ask ask yourself the question, these things give you meaning. They give you value. They give you purpose in life. They make you feel good about yourself. They get you up out of the bed. They get you out of bed in the morning. There's something that you can't live without. They make you feel good. They give you all these things. They give you hope. And ultimately, they give you significance. And again, for some of you, that can be anything with this. It even could be your wife, that you can deify her and put her under the pressure of being God and giving you all that you need. Definitely, it can be your beauty, that your accessories and your shoes and your clothes can make you feel ultimately beautiful, but giving you a sense of worth when you step out into the world. And the worst thing that can happen is that you can actually get your idol for two reasons. The first one is that if you get your idol... It will, you will be paralyzed if your idol is threatened. If you've got this job in which you worship and you know that they're laying people off, you'll be paralyzed. If you know that something comes up where you need to spend your finances and you realize your bank account's going backwards and, and your idol is your finances, you'll be paralyzed. If relationships is your idol and your boyfriend or girlfriend are about to dump you, you will be paralyzed. If your kids are your idol and they start to go astray or don't listen or don't do the things that you want and they're not the perfect kids that you need them to be, you will be paralyzed. The second thing is that you will, when you get your idol, you will be crushed under the weight of its expectations. Once you get it, then you need to keep it. And there's going to be constant expectations in your life in order to maintain uh, where you want to be with that idol. For some that are at uni, it needs to be a high distinction or a distinction average. And when you start getting distinctions, every time you go into an exam, you're going to have to keep that same level. And it's going to crush you. For some of the things, it's success. And if you're not successful, you'll be crushed under the weight of its expectations. For some, it's finances. You need to have a certain amount of money in your bank account so that you can feel secure. And if you don't, then it will crush you under the weight of its expectations things and people are not God 
And only God can carry that weight. Now, idols are not something easy to figure out in our lives, and this moves me on to my uh, second question. How do we recognize our idols? I want to start off by saying that um, our idols uh, manifest themselves differently on the outside than what they actually are on the inside. So idolatry is a, is a heart issue. It's something that we, we develop in our hearts, and then, it's, then, then externally it comes out in something else. And so there's two questions that I want you to be able to ask yourself to help you, I would say, identify some of the idols in your life. And the first one is this. What makes me angry? Now, when I mean about anger, I don't mean a righteous anger in the sense that if somebody hurts your kid, you're going to get frustrated. Or when you see terrorism on the TV and people are dying, that, that obviously that would make you angry because you care about the stuff. I'm not talking about a righteous anger. I'm talking about an anger where you just kind of snap for, for no reason that you really don't understand and you sort of defend something and you just get angry. And so there's a scenario in, uh, in my life that I want to share. As you know, Kylie and I, uh, we built a deck at the back of our house and... Uh, and, um, of course, a deck needs some nice furniture. And so we searched and searched for furniture, and we eventually found something that fitted the area perfectly, loved it, we set it up, it looked all good. But at the same time, there's something that doesn't like furniture. It's called a dog. Um, uh, or they don't care much about stuff. And um, everything that he gets his teeth into, he destroys. Uh, he's getting bigger and bigger. He's only seven months now, and he sort of sits... His head goes above the table now, and he's, and he's just turning into a huge Cujo. Um, he's, but he's not, he's not really... A Cujo is a vicious kind of angry dog, that's what I call him. But he's not. He's really soft and gentle. But anyway, he loves to sink his teeth into things. So Kylie and I, we thought, hey, we don't want our stuff to get destroyed, so we will uh, get a three-meter-long steel cable. Um, you see, I see him gnawing on it every now and again, but fortunately enough, he gives up because he can't get through it. Um, anyway, so we tie it onto the back fence, and it comes out enough where... Our chairs and our tables on this side where his head just was missing and he's able to sort of step onto the deck and come this way and it just misses our kind of corner lounge section. Perfect. Oof. Time up. We can leave. I can be relaxed. Anyway, get back, hoping to see our dog and make sure our furniture's all intact and he hasn't teared down the fence or ripped up the cable. Um, I walk outside and I see one of our chairs. Our wicker chairs somehow has fallen over. He must have just got his paw and, and knocked it over, and he's there gnarling at the wicker, and he's ripped off the bottom of it. And I just, I went into a state of rage. Did, did, did you guys see I'm inside out, that little, that little red guy that kind of goes, and there's fire coming off? I mean, it would have been happening in the spiritual. God would have seen fire coming from my head, but, but that, that was me. I went red, and, and I just, I just kind of cracked it, and I was like, oh, you know, and I kind of, don't tell this to the RSPCA, I sort of smacked him a few times. <laughs> I picked him up to this collar, and I've, and I've launched him into the garden. He's kind of done this, and he's freaked out. I grabbed the chair, and I put it back. And Externally, what did my idol look like it was? On the outside, the way that I responded, what did it look like it was? The chairs, the furniture, possessions. Well, definitely not the dog. Um, and... So on the outside, as I said, idols can manifest themselves differently exteriorly what's happening in the heart. And so it looks like my love for possessions is what it was. But as I, I, I got, you know, as the night went throughout and, and I just was like, man, this, I didn't really like this about myself. I just thought this was wrong the way that I reacted, you know. And I kind of sat with God and I thought to God, what's going on? And, 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 and where is my idol at, God? Where is, where is my heart at here? And, and, and if, you, if you know me, I, I like things 
I grew up kind of with a family that really hoarded a lot of stuff and there was lots of clutter and nothing was really fresh and new. And so I like nothing around but just the things that I have, I love them and, you know, they've got to be kind of in order and in place and perfect and don't get a scratch on it. And ultimately, I found that that's, that's my comfort. That's my comfort. And it also is a place of security for me. When things are in their place, parents or, um, you know, when your house gets destroyed, uh, people come in and, you know, things get moved around and maybe your kids come in and they move chairs, they move furniture, leave cups around. Oh, there's like this, man, you know, your, your, your Engedi is being disrupted um, and you can't relax. And so that's what, that's what I found. So my, my idol was in that, that my stuff becomes my comfort blanket or kind of like my security. And that's what God's been working on me with. And so lately we've, um, uh, we've been able to take Archie off the lead. And I pretty much come home now, I think to myself, okay, if he's torn it up, take a breath. You know what I mean? It's a dog, it's got emotions, it feels. It's... Kylie shows me these captions with dogs and the little puppy faces. And, you know, they, they spend most of their life waiting for you to come home. And what we do is kind of you know, shove them to the side, but they're, they're adorable. But anyway, here's a few things that I want to throw out there. So um, what about for you? So you might get angry when somebody calls out your sin. Um, and you're like, no, you can't say that. You know, I'm not, you know you're not perfect and, and no one's perfect and, and um, you can't judge me. Maybe your idol of pride has been, has been affected there. Maybe you have like road rage. You know, when you're out there, somebody cuts in between you. Damn, you shouldn't have done that. Maybe your pride is that, that, that your time's worth more than them. You're like a god in the car, and hey, you're more important than them, and you're more important to get to where you need to be rather than them. Maybe your wife calls you out on your hobbies. Husbands, you're always out playing golf, uh, fishing, you know, going on runs and at the beach or whatever it is, and maybe uh, you start to get fired up, and no, this is what I need to do, and maybe your idol of escapism is, is what's being compromised. Women, maybe your husbands say, why do you always need to have 150 pairs of shoes, and And I'm limited to this little section of the closet where I, you know, I, I've got those vacuum air suction bag things that creep everything. Can the shoes and everything's in this place and the whole house is full of... Um, my, my wife doesn't do that at all. Um, um, you know, when you get frustrated, I need these things, I need to look good. Maybe your idol of beauty is being challenged. What about for you young teenagers when your parents call out to you, dinner's ready, I'll be there in a moment. You're playing the, you know, your Xbox and you're, and you're in your zone and parents kind of stumble down, get off it, I've told you how many times. And then parents, you pull out the plug and then what happens to the child? He explodes and loses and has a meltdown, he's crying. <sighs> Maybe your identity is being challenged because when you go to school, you get to tell your friends that, um, you know, I got up to this level and this is how far I got. And you need to keep at that place of being really, really good at your gaming that you find your worth in your gaming. So I guess you've got to ask yourself the question, what makes me angry? And what is the idol I need to get rid of? What makes me angry? And what is the idol I need to get rid of? The second question is, what am I afraid of? When you understand where your fears come from, it'll help you identify your idols. And this is a big one. Because we usually make idols uh, out of, well, we usually have fear. We make idols out of things that we fear to help us with a sense of security and make us feel safe. And the heart, the, our hearts can make idols of anything. Again, our career, our relationships, our savings, our bank account, our assets, our success, our power, um, family, friends, whatever. 
And remember I mentioned to you earlier that, that if you make something your idol, it will crush you under the weight of expectation, and also you'll have to keep that, that kind of level of expectation, but also it'll paralyze you. And when you make a good thing, a God thing, and then it turns into a bad thing, you're afraid of losing it. And so you're in a constant tension of anxiety and stress and what if, and if this kind of happens, well, I'm going to lose it. Sometimes our, and I'm not saying all the time, and I want to be very gentle with this because I understand that, that depression can be clinical. My mom's had it for over 36 or 37 years and, and, and I've grown up with it. But sometimes our depression and our stress and anxiety is just because of our idol. We're so fearful of losing it that it's become our God to us and then we don't want to let it go. We're not giving it up to God and it's taking the position of God himself and you're holding onto it so tightly and it's making you so anxious that it just destroys you. And you're depressed and you're down and again, if it's challenged and you're, oh, maybe we just need to let go and give it to God and put God in his rightful place because ultimately the things that make you angry and the things that hold you in fear will not allow you to step forward. You're not going to move forward at all. It won't allow you to live in the freedom of purpose that Jesus has for you. And if anything other than Jesus is your God, then you're in idolatry and it's demonic. And it causes a lot of destruction. So what have we worked on so far? We've worked on what is an idol? Church? A good thing? That become a God thing? That becomes a bad thing? And how do we recognize our idols? Asking two questions. Where is our... Um, what makes me angry? And what is our fear? The last thing is this. How do we restore worship back to God and break free from our idols? Now, I want to start off with the problem, and then we'll come into the solution. Coming back to the beach scenario, I believe that when we look at God's flags, we see them as restrictive and limiting and confining, and we don't want to be in that. We feel that God's laws and God's rules and regulations in our life limit us. And so we believe that the absence of restrictions is what ultimately sets us free. Just allow that to soak in for a moment. We look at what God has called us into and a life that he wants us to live, and we think, I don't want to be part of that. That looks kind of confining. I can't do what I want. I can't be the person I want to be. God's going to confine me into this little box. And so we say, I want to get rid of that. And we believe that not having limitations, restrictions, or being confined to anything is what ultimately liberates us and allows us to be in freedom. And what I want to say is that that's actually not true. That limitations and restrictions actually do set us free. And I want to give you an example, and I want to kind of show you something that um, on the drum kit. When I first played the drums, I went to my cousin's house in Adelaide, and I was around about, I don't know, nine or ten or something like that. And he had his uh, drum kit in his shed, and he said to me, I hope that you might have to turn this down when I play. We'll see how we go. But he, um, yeah, I sort of saw the kit. I'm like, oh, that's really, really cool. And he just, he just played a beat. This is, this is what he'd done. He just did this. That was, that was what he'd done. I'm like, yeah, man, I can do that. No problem. Never, never played a drums in my life. And so I just get on the kit, and I just, I just play. I just, I just got on there, and I'd done that exact same beat. Now, if I want to get better at playing the drums, what do I need to do? I need to practice. I need to put hours and hours of practicing the drums in order for me to get better. What is that naturally doing to you? It's limiting what you can do. You're saying no to other things, 
and you're restricting yourself, you're putting disciplines in place so that you can ultimately flourish to grow into the gift that God has given you. And so now, you know, I can play all sorts of things, you know, double on the... You know, it allows me to actually play more because I limited myself to other things and the restrictions and the discipline that I put on myself allowed me to grow in the freedom to be able to play the drums how I want now. Can you see how that works? You see, the discipline and limitations have unleashed my ability that would otherwise go untapped. What have I done? I've deliberately lost my freedom, obviously saying no to all the things while I played the drums, to engage in something which was playing the drums in order that I may release myself to a richer kind of freedom that accomplished something else. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, what, so limitations and, 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 and restrictions ultimately liberate us? No. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I am restricted by the physical reality that I am five foot nothing. As, as my wife said last week, I'm the height of a 12-year-old boy. It wasn't very nice, was it? Yeah, thank you. And a very hairy one, too. And... No matter what I do, no matter what I do, I'm not going to be an NBA basketball player, right? It doesn't matter how much I practice. It doesn't matter how much, you know, hoops I shoot. Ultimately, it doesn't matter how kind of technical I get. These guys have, you know, arm spans up to like seven or eight foot, and they're six foot something plus. Even the smallest guys are in the, in the six foot, you know, kind of size. It doesn't matter how many limitations I put on myself. I'm not going to be free and to be able to play basketball because I'm just not that tall. So what am I saying with this? Freedom isn't about living without restrictions as much as it is about applying disciplines and constraints to the right area of your life. Within the reality of your natural abilities that fit our nature, only then can you flourish. So what I'm saying is, is that you can't just apply it anywhere and I'm going to be like the president and everyone, you know, everybody can be like the prime minister and everybody can be a basketball player. No. If you apply it in the wrong areas, it would be actually quite destructive. We probably find this in, you know, with people that only work a vocation that brings them lots of money. They're working in a field that doesn't really fit them you know, and they're trying really, really hard in order to grow in their area to make lots of money, but ultimately that's killing them and, 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 and it's causing lots of destruction because that's not the field that they should really be in. They're applying the, wrong, the disciplines and restrictions in the wrong area of life. It's only when it, it is put into the reality of our nature and our abilities and our gifts. For me, it's being able to play music and not basketball. Another example is a fish, right? A fish is limited to the reality of water. We've got a couple of fish at home, and it lives in a sort of tank like this. Now, what if the fish, when I opened up the, uh, the lid and said, hey, I don't like this. This is kind of really restricting. I want to jump out, and I want to be free. What would actually happen? It would get gobbled up. The dog would get it. But the fact is, its reality is that it lives in water. It breathes from its gills, and it absorbs oxygen from the water, not from our air. And also, it's not designed, and it's not built to walk, it's built to swim. Only with inside the limitations of water can an actual fish be free, not outside. Okay, so what's the big idea of what I'm saying? What am I telling you this? Here we go. If we understand that we grow um, vocationally and educationally, intellectually, musically, through judicious restrictions and restraints, 
why, can it, why can't we apply these same principles for us to grow spiritually and morally? Why can't we apply these same principles to grow spiritually and morally? So swimming between God's flags, what we think are restrictive, are not actually limiting us, but are actually liberating us. And actually designed to set us free. Remember that I said idolatry is something that crushes you and, it, you know, and you're fearful of it and you don't want to lose it. Does that sound like a place that's free? Saying no to the way that God wants you to live, you kind of being God, choosing your own God and putting other things, good things that become bad things, good things that become God things that become bad things. Does that seem freeing to you? It doesn't seem freeing to me. So instead of us rejecting what God has for us in his laws, we should turn and discipline ourselves to live in it. So what is the reality, and this is where we're going to close very soon, what is the reality that human beings need to live in in order for us to flourish? Just like a fish kind of flourishes in water, what is the reality that we need to live in? What is the nature that we need to be in in order for us to flourish? And I want to say that that is in love. Loving relationships are the place in which human beings are most fulfilled, uh, are most satisfied, and are most secure. It is inside a loving relationship when you have two people coming together, loving one another, unselfishly giving of themselves to each other, that they can be freed, that they can feel free. But at the same time, love is most freeing, but it also is most restricting because you can't do whatever you want anymore. The time that Kylie and I's marriage break down is when we both get prideful or we both want to do things our way. We both don't want to acknowledge each other. That's when the relationship breaks down, but we are most flourishing We are most free together, but at the same time most restricted when we love one another and we change and we bend. If you want the freedoms of love, if you want the freedoms that come with love, such as security and fulfillment and a a sense of worth that it brings, um, and and you want a deep relationship with that person, then you need to give your freedom up to them. So two people in a loving relationship have to change this way. One person can't do what they want while the other one changes. Otherwise, that would be abusive and exploit a relationship. But when both parties bend, when both people change, when both say, I'll adjust to you, you'll adjust to me. When both change, I'll change for you, you'll change for me. When both say, I'll serve you, and, you'll, and, and, and I'll, wait, so I'll serve you, you serve me. Um, when both say that, um, I'll change for you, and, and even if it means a sacrifice for me, I'll do it. Human beings are most free and alive in relationships of love. Now, if you're new or you're not a Christian, you're probably thinking that a relationship with God is one-sided. It looks like you do all the changing. It looks like you do all the bending. If you come to Christianity, oh, now I've got this book and I've got all these rules and God's telling me to do all this stuff. Con, didn't you just say that a relationship that needs to flourish has to have two parties bending and change for each other? And I want to ask you guys the question, did God change for us? God changed in the most extraordinary ways possible. The immortal God came down and became like one of us and took on mortal flesh. He limited himself. 
the King of kings and Lord of lords, left his throne with riches and glory and angels that sung to him to a place that he was born into poverty, going from his heavenly father to an adopted father, a place where angels sung, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, to a place where he stood on the cross and they cried out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Our God came down into our world and he changed He changed for you and I. He came to serve us. He came to adjust to us. And it meant a huge sacrifice for God that he would ultimately go to the cross and die for our sins. Tim Keller puts it this way. Or rather, before I say that, So it is within a loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in which when we give our life to him and we love him the way that God loved us, will we flourish spiritually and morally and be able to put off the weight of our idols. God has to become more beautiful. God has to become more spectacular. God has to become more amazing in your heart and in your life than anything else. And it is that relationship that will set you free from your idols. This is how Tim Keller puts it. When you fall deeply in love, you want to please the beloved. You don't wait for the person to ask you to do something for her. You eagerly search and learn every little thing that brings her pleasure. Then you get it for her, even if it costs you money or great inconvenience. Your wish is my command, you feel, but it doesn't feel oppressive. From the outside, friends think she's leading him around the nose. But from the inside, to him, it feels like heaven. For a Christian... It's the same with Jesus. The love of Christ constraints. Once you, release, once you realize how Jesus changed for you and gave himself for you, you aren't afraid of giving up your freedom and therefore finding your freedom in him. I want to finish with this last scenario. Uh, again, coming back to the beach. I wonder when my teacher was sort of doing his own thing, as we do, and he got caught up in the rip, places of idolatry, If he took a moment to glance over to the flags, what would he have seen? He would have seen children splashing around and people having fun and them being at peace and them being at joy and, you know, not being afraid. Why? Because they knew they had protection. They knew that they were in the right place. And so this morning, let's swim between the flags that we may may find freedom in Christ. So if that's you this morning and you... You're feeling crushed by the weight of expectations of your idol or your idol is being threatened or you have these fears in your life and deep down you're sort of trying to figure out what they are and you kind of want to get rid of them or you want to expose them and um, you want to yeah, be set free. We're going, to, you know, we're going to have the worship team come up and we'd love for them to pray for you. Um, and if, you, if you're new here and, and you're not a Christian and you love to give your, your life over to Jesus, then... Hopefully you can pray with the person that came for you. I would love to pray for you and lead you in a prayer that ultimately you can orientate your worship to the true and living God and not false gods, which are idols. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you so much that you love us and that you care for us, Lord God, and that you are our King. Father God, this morning I pray that we would bring ourselves back to the correct worship and that he's putting you as our King and everything else we are to steward and enjoy, Lord God. Let us worship you with all our hearts. Let us give ultimate glory to you, Lord God. Let us put off our idols, Lord. Um, Let us reverse that change, that exchange that we did for 
for the creature rather than the career. Let us put you as our head, Lord God. And we, we thank you, Father, for the things that you've put in place for us. We thank you for the limitations that aren't ultimately restricting, but that are liberating and that ultimately set us free. And allow us, Lord God, to give our lives to you, Jesus, in that we can live in freedom in you. In your name we pray. Amen.